Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. You know, on earth, in order to move up, it's who you know. But in God, in order to move up, it's who you are. At the end of the day, whether we like this or not, whether we understand this or not, it's got to sink into our pores. It's got to ooze out of everything that we are. When you pursue God, no enemy, no weapon can defeat you. Today, we live our lives with the expectation of making mistakes. But in the days of Daniel, this was not always the case. In fact, he was put into the lion's den because he refused to cave to society's demands. He refused to compromise his moral standards. He had values, but more importantly, he had virtue. In today's message, Josh Mason, son of Pastor Eddie Mason, explores how we can add virtue to our faith so that we too can withstand peer pressure and other societal demands. Last time I was up here, I got to talk about faith or one degree off of reality. Today I'm in course 201. That was your first course in God. Course 201 would be adding virtue to faith. And before I've told you, when God kind of talks to me, He loves to talk to me in semantics. He knows that that's the way that I play. Whether I like that or not, that's who I am. And so the other night I had a dream, and it happened right after I'd heard this. I had, somebody spoke this on the radio when I was driving. I got to hear it, and then I had a vision of it. I, I you know, dreamed it. We always have this mistake that that cross is like this, that that's victory. What victory was was Jesus standing in a cross broken before His feet. And I thought, okay, that's semantics. And God said, yeah, but this is how I want you to see it. What did I nail to the cross? I said, your son. He said, no, no, no. The sin's the world. The sin's are your life. And if the sins are still up there, then they're still dying. He said, no, no, no. They were defeated. They're broken. And now they lie beneath your feet. And so when you see victory, you need to see a cross broken beneath your feet. And I thought that was a very interesting way for God to kind of put that for me. For y'all, you can take it how you want, but for me that meant I have victory. It doesn't stand there anymore. It's not still nailed. It's gone. I can walk in victory because it's been broken. It's been shattered. In creating this, I got to hear, I've listened to, I've been reading about Daniel, so we're going to talk about Daniel. We talked about Joseph last time I spoke. Today we're going to read about Daniel. Um, But as I began to sit here and and listen and learn, there were a few things that came up. And the first scripture that I want to look at is 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. This is the basis of however many times I ever get to preach, this is going to be our movement towards it for me. It says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control perseverance, to your perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted 
even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from old sins. So when you talk about faith, that's Course 101. Think about that. We always talk about how hard it is to have faith, and you go, if that's where you're getting stuck, you're missing a lot. You're short-siding it even unto blindness. Think about that. we got to continue to add on to it. So we have to talk about adding virtue. And, and let me tell you, we always talk about wanting to move up. You know, on earth, in order to move up, it's who you know. But in God, in order to move up, it's who you are. When you think about Daniel, we've heard it so many times. Well, I'll go into Daniel in a minute. I do want to talk about virtue for a minute. Add to your faith virtue. I told you, that's my course 201. What is virtue? And I loved how it was presented to me. Virtue, moral excellence. And this is the way it was presented. Jesus always did things that pleased his Father. What are you doing to please the Father? You know, if, if, if in your life you're worried about whose feelings you're going to hurt in the pursuit of God, then you're missing the point. Jesus didn't make everybody happy. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't have been hung on the cross. I got to hear the story. You know, he was talking about when Peter was fleeing, you know, before he decided that he would go back and be crucified upside down, supposedly. But in there, it talks about back in the days that as Christ was walking back that direction, or as people were beginning to flee, that bodies were hung up and they were on fire, and that's what actually lit the roads to lead into this particular place. And on the way out, Peter crossed the Master, Father. And Jesus said, where are you going? He said, I'm fleeing. I'm afraid. He said, really? Now, I understand this is my own interpretation. Really? You're, you're fleeing? Look what I did. And immediately he turned around and walked back in order to be crucified. Understand that in pursuit of God... If you have this misconception that every day is going to be roses and happiness, then you have just that, a misconception. One person was beheaded. Another person was disemboweled. You have uh, one person crucified upside down. You have the Christians in Rome that were fed to the lions. Just because you love and believe in God doesn't give you this ability to think that you're going to live forever and be bulletproof. All it means is that you have salvation and the ability to escape that that you don't want to be a part of in death. And in life, in the midst of your trials and tribulations, which, by the way, you would have whether or not you decided to have God in your heart. But now you don't walk alone. And now you have something to hold on to. And now you can have peace in the midst of the trials and tribulations. And now you can have faith. And now you can save a nation because you can be that model that needs to be seen in order for change to truly occur. How do we do this? We do this through virtue. You had a couple examples. I said Joseph. We have Daniel. There are several that are in the Bible, but I just want to focus on Daniel. Did anybody know about how old Daniel was when the lion's den came about? Believe it or not, Daniel was, was uh, right on the cusp of 90 years old when the lion's den occurred. I found that to be very interesting. I found it to be interesting because I look at my grandfather and I go... <laughs> You were just now understanding virtue. And, and hey, I'm a youngin' compared to that. There's a lot of life in there, you know. So anybody who is, you know, not even approaching, not, you haven't even really gotten into it yet. I'm just telling you. So we look at Daniel, we look at uh, 6, 1 through 5, and I want to try to set the stage for you, okay? 
It said, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So here's the thing. There are 120 people. King Darius comes in. If you haven't read the writing on the wall for the last king, you need to go look at that and understanding how Daniel has continued to stay in this place of complete importance and desirable you know, position. And so this other king comes in and he's still there. And this, this king comes in and he says, all right, I got these 120 people and we're going to put them out over our lands. Now in one translation, they actually use the word for the three governors as three presidents. Only time I've ever seen it in the Bible. But there was one that was over each of them, or over all of them, and that was Daniel. What was happening was his princes, his satraps, they were going out there, they were stealing from him. They were taking his money, they were taking his land, they were taking stuff. What they could, they could steal. They were taking it away. So he said, Daniel, I need you to be over them. Why? Because he trusted Daniel. Daniel was a man of what? Virtue. Moral excellence. He knew that Daniel would come back. And let me tell you, the 120, not very pleased. I don't think it had anything to do with Daniel in particular. It just had to do with the fact that his moral excellence meant we couldn't steal anymore. You couldn't thieve from the king. It says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I thought that was very interesting. We, we talk about getting saved and salvation and Christ residing in us. Do you understand that you have a, a, a spirit of excellence that lives within you? Amen. Daniel had it before Christ was even crucified. We have it now. The king gave him thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governor and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Notice that 101 faithful stopped people from even being able to see fault in him and virtue put him over a land. Notice you have to put them together. That's why we just read that verse that talked about add to your faith virtue. Uh, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Please understand this. Daniel was a persistent man of God. He was going to pray on a daily basis. He was going to do it three times a day. And he had set apart that time, and it didn't matter come anything in his way, he was going to go and do that prayer time. That was his time with God. And you weren't going to get in the way of that. And so these people look and they're going, you can't find fault with this man. I would love, I mean, please don't ask my wife if you can find fault with me. But I would love for somebody to be able to say that about me. Think about it. There's nothing wrong with him. If we can find fault, we can get him out. If we can do this, we can get him out. You can't get him out. Why? There's nothing wrong with him. Great then if you can't attack him, we've got to attack his faith. So if you go back to last week, what is that? One degree off of reality. I'm not going to attack you, I'm going to attack your faith. Why? Because when you're in God and you're studying God and you're believing in God and you're following God, I cannot hurt you or defeat you or mess with you. So I have to remove the safeguard. I have to remove the shield. I have to remove that thing that I cannot, that barrier that destroys everything in its path. 
So I attack your faith. You got to know. They set up this trap. Oh, Darius, so wise. Oh, live forever. Oh, greatness. Let me tell you something. I love my brother Herman, but when he starts telling me all the good things, I'm waiting for the bad thing to drop. What are you wanting me to do? Josh, you know, you're a great praise and worship leader. You knew this. But I got a question to ask. Oh, there it comes. No, I'm just kidding. So that's really what the truth is. They, they, they set him up. And, you know, here's the problem. We love to be told how good we are. It just strokes that happiness. And so then they were, you know, you have to think, all 120 came in and they did this very fast. We just... You never, when you were a kid, I don't know if you did this. We did this to my mom and dad every once in a while. I don't know about how much Herman did, but when I wanted to go stay at my friend Jake's house or Ben's house, or I wanted them to stay with me, we would wait till the last second. We'd run in together real fast and go, we'd wait till mom wasn't in there. <laughs> can, uh, can Ben stay in the night tonight? Look, we got to know now his mom's about to come on the way. Can he stay tonight? Well, I didn't give him much time to really think of it, did I? The answer was always yes. Now, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have said yes anyway. I just didn't give him much chance to say no. Heck, I do that with my kids now. Hey, can we stay the weekend? Yeah, let's call Nana Daddy. Let's, I mean, y'all talk to him. <laughs> he can't say no to y'all. I'm just telling you, you learn the tricks of the trade, right? And so, uh, I know I'm sharing my hand there. That's bad. But anyway... So you have to know this is what they do. You have 120 that come in here. And you got to think, because it happened so fast, it's kind of like Dad not noticing that Mama wasn't in the room. Now, he's learned a little bit. Let me talk to your mother first. I go, darn. But anyway, so... He, uh, but, but you have to think, he didn't really look and see, is Daniel, the person that's over all these people, is he in here? Because he's really the one that helps safeguard me. And he didn't really pay attention. Because they are just they are just looking and they are, you know, he, he's attacked what? The faith, right? The, get rid of the safeguard. So they come in there and, the, and they're, you're great, you're wonderful. Oh, they're puffing up his chest. You know what? You're so good. I think for the next month, you need to be treated as God. Everybody needs to worship you. Everybody needs to bow down. Ooh, I like that idea. Everybody, let me just tell you, if my children would bow down before me and do what I say, we'd have a happier life. It would be so much easier. Instead, I find myself screaming. I mean, uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, but that's really what they did. They, 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 and Daniel wasn't there to say, look what you're doing. And he really loved Daniel. Go back and read it. He was in love with Daniel. So he does this, and what does that lead to? Everybody understands the story. It leads to the fact that they now had set a trap because he was so faithful, it didn't matter. He was going to do what? He was going to pray. And he was not going to worship and praise another idol. He was not going to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand that. And guess what? God walked with them in the fire too. So you have to understand that at this point in time, they've got him. So I'll move you forward a little bit to verse 14. They let him know this. We've got him. This is what your servant did. And he said, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. You need to understand, when they took over, they believed themselves to be infallible. So when they made a decree, they could not go back and change it. Because to change it would mean to admit that you are 
fallible. That's a far cry from Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar would save who he wanted to save and kill who he wanted to kill. And if he thought he was wrong, then he would save the person he was supposed to kill and kill the person he was supposed to save. That was his decision. That is a far cry from what you had here. And because of that, the king could not save Daniel. But if you notice, who did he ask for him to be delivered by? If you go in the Scripture, we'll read that in a minute. They just continue to tell him, Know that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which king established shall be changed. They're letting him know, Hey, got you, king. That protection that you had, we just got him killed for you. They knew they won. Satan knew he won when he defeated Christ supposedly on the cross, right? We have to remember these things. So the, the king gave the command, and they brought David and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually. Now, now before I read this, think about this. He was not a man that came in believing in God, was he? He believed in all these other odds. Why is it that he all of a sudden gave credence and belief in God? Because when you live a faithful life and a virtuous life and the things happen that will happen in your life because God will use you, even those that don't believe in God will see who God is. So he says, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Not he might, I hope he does. He will. He knew. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might be changed. I want to read something to you. I know it's going to be hard to see it up here. I put it on the slide anyway. I found this very interesting. Nobody really knows what happens inside of the den of lions. But how this was written, it got me in my feels, I'll really put you, okay? But I really liked this. And I, if this can give you a good visualization, I hope it does. But this writer wrote, As the guards closed the aperture and went their way, Daniel slid gradually to the floor of the den. The big lions that had come bounding from their caverns at the inflow of light all stopped suddenly short as a steed reined up by a powerful hand on the bridle. The initial roars died away as they formed a solid phalanx and looked towards this man who stood in their den in easy reach. There was some snorting and a little whining, and some of them turned around and went back to their caverns. Others of the great beasts yawned and lay down on the floor, but not one made a move to advance towards their visitor. Thanks be unto Jehovah, breathed the prophet. He hath stopped the mouths of these fierce beasts that they will do me no harm. He sat down on the floor of the den and leaned his back against the wall to make himself comfortable for the night. Could you imagine having that kind of comfort? Soon, two cub lions moved in his direction, not stealthily or crouching as though to make an attack, but in obvious friendliness, and one lay on each side of Daniel as though to give him warmth and protection in the chilly dungeon. Presently, their mother, an old lioness, crept over and lay in front of the prophet. He gently stroked their backs as they, lay, uh, as they each turned their heads and licked his hand. 
enclosed by the lioness and her cubs, the head of the patriarch was gradually pillowed on the back of one of the cubs as the four slept soundly in perfect peace and tranquility. Meanwhile, at the palace, the king spent the night fasting. Think about it. Daniel lay in the place that he should be fearful. Daniel lay in the place that he should be dead. But instead, he lay... Again, there's no truth as to whether or not that's really what happened, but in my mind's eye, I can see that. Laying down with these lions, getting warmth for the night, just relaxing. Hey, God, how you doing? I'm going to lay here with these lions. Thank you for shutting the mouth. I need some sleep. That's fine. I'm going to make some pillows for you. I'm going to give you warmth. But King Darius, you put my man in a hole, so this is how you're going to feel for the night. So in Daniel 18 through 23, it says, Now the king went to the palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep uh, went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel! Servant of God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? In my heart, he already knew the answer. Why? Because he said, your God will deliver you. There's an understanding that it was going to happen. So he didn't sleep at night. He didn't eat. He didn't listen to music. He didn't have a party. He just stayed awake going, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. And when he could, he's going, bah. Make haste. you got to think when a king made haste, and I began to look at this, there is no slowness to that. If he could have gotten on a horse or 50 horses or whatever could take him the fastest, if he'd have had a Lamborghini, that's what he'd have driven. Ooh, get there. It's funny. When the 120 came in and, and ran straight into that room to deceive the king, their first words were, O king, live forever. So it's funny that when the stone is rolled away and he looks down there saying this, Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they will not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Understand, how old did I say Daniel was? He's not some spry chicken. He's pushing 90, so they had to get him down and they had to bring him up. And I don't know about you, but when I talk to my grandfather about sleeping at night, it's not always the easiest for him. Yet he slept comfortably. And I have to tell you, it kind of made me think I could see my grandfather in my head looking going, look, man, I didn't do you any wrong. And look what God did for me. You know? My grandfather has some spunk. I can imagine that Daniel had some spunk. No injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in God. Virtuous. Now, I told you before that people can be killed, they can be hurt, they can be maimed, but you have to understand the other side of that is there are stories of deliverance. And because of that, it is used in order to save a nation. Remember, you are going to be used for what God needs you for. So if He needs your death, He's going to bring you death. And if He needs your life, He's going to bring you life. Your job is to be faithful and virtuous. 
You live with moral excellence, believing in God, doing what He says, and understand that He can use you the way that He needs to use you. That's hard. That's why it's Course 201, not Course 101. Faith can be that of a mustard seed. Virtue cannot. It takes work to be virtuous. In Daniel 6, 24, he says, The king gave the command that they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the lion's den. This was where I thought it was crazy. They have children and wives. And it says that the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. See, here's what I've always been thinking. And, and, and most people, when we talk about we talk about lions, we think about two or three. You don't think about many. But I want to give you a thought process in your head, okay? There were 120 men. Their wives and children were there. You're talking anywhere between 360, 400, 500 people. Let's just say it's 400. How many lions would it take to devour 400 people before they ever hit the ground? That's not, a, that's not one or two lions. We need to understand that when Daniel was put down in that lion's den, they had enough lions to tear apart anything that ever came in contact, and yet the lions did nothing. He didn't shut the mouths of one or two lions. had to have been hundreds. I went and looked. For one person to devour one person my size, it would take two lions. Just two. So you can think it could be anywhere between four and 800 lions in there or more. God is God. You cannot defeat God. The enemy cannot defeat God. So to live by moral excellence is a big deal for you because when you do come face to face with the enemy who is trying to steal your joy and to move you one degree off of reality and to destroy you and to remove barriers in front of you. You need to live in pursuance and persistence of Him because at the end of the day, whether we like this or not, whether we understand this or not, it's got to sink into our pores. It's got to ooze out of everything that we are because when you pursue God, no enemy, no weapon can defeat you. You also have to live by one understanding. Death is not the end. If the Bible says to live is Christ and to die is gain, we must accept that. Because you will never complete the second course until you accept that your death and your life are 100% God's and that faith is the beginning, but it's not the end. And I just want to tell you, as I go back here, this is how many I see. Notice it said, given all diligence. It didn't say, add to diligence. It uses it to begin with. So to be faithful, you have to be diligent. To be virtuous, you have to be diligent. To have self-control, you're going to have to be diligent. To have perseverance, you're going to have to be diligent. To have godliness, you're going to have to be diligent. To have brotherly kindness, you're going to have to be diligent. To have love, you're going to have to be diligent. You have to have faith, virtue, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. It's amazing that's seven. Coincidence? You are just starting out. You are just moving forward. You are just beginning to understand God. But I've been a Christian for 40 years. Yeah, then you're just starting. 
I've been a Christian for 90 years. Great, maybe you've completed course two then. I'm just telling you, God shortened our lifespans on purpose. The series that I read that was about Daniel is prayer under pressure. And I think that's why He shortened our lives. Because when given too much time, we become lazy. We decide that we're going to procrastinate instead of persist. I can do it tomorrow. I can do it tomorrow. I can do it tomorrow. What if I were to tell you that, you know, in the Bible it says that He shortened the lives down to 120 years. And that they still haven't found a person that's lived for over 120 years yet. In fact, they just proved that the person they thought had been alive, the oldest person in recent uh, history to be 130, that after doing actual some science uh, to it, carbon dating and, and improved uh, measures, that they found that the person probably didn't live to be more than 115. There's not a case known to man at this point in time of anybody living to be over 120. Why would he do that? To create pressure. Why? Because he's not worried about this flesh and this life. He's worried about the next. And what he wants to do is he's not worried about who you know here. He's worried about what you are in him. And we should be pursuing that move up the ladder in him because to move up in the ladder in him means that we're going to bring glorification to him on earth. And it doesn't matter if we live or die. It's going to change things. We can say all day long that people are going to hell, but we don't know how many. And we don't have to know a number. Why can't we pursue the number to be zero? See, again, that's one degree off reality. Somebody has to go to hell. Why? He didn't die so that people had to go to hell. He predestined. You don't know what He predestined. You know nothing of what His desire is for another person in their lives except for the fact that He wants to save them and bring them into heaven. And you don't know if or when they're going to save and you don't know when or if they're going to pursue God and you don't know what's going to happen if they do pursue God. And this is my last thing I'll tell you as far as connecting to that. Let me tell you, Josh McDowell, I was never a huge fan of him, but I loved to listen to the story of what he did with his father and I will say it over and over again. You know, his father was a drunkard. His father lived in... The crevices of the world, so to speak, is how he would put it. He would come home from uh, school, and most of the time, whether it was cops or it was other friends, would tell him, you know, your dad has gotten drunk for the day. He's off in this ditch. We need you to help pick him up, and he'd have to go help pick him up, and he'd have to bring him into home. And I mean, that was the life he lived. In the midst of that, God saved him. Josh McDowell I'm talking about, not the father. Josh pursued God hard. And then he began to talk to his father about God. And he talked to him for years. And he constantly tried to show him who God was. And his dad continued to tell him, look what I'm doing. Look who I am. Look at your life you've led. And you want to tell me that God's real? He always had an excuse as to why God wasn't real. He always had an excuse for some reason in the pursuit of God, however long it took, it finally broke through. And his father got saved. And his father died three years later of cancer. It's not who you know, it's who you are in Christ. 
It's not about whether or not it takes you one year or 50. What happens is you go after God hard and you're persistent because you will change the lives of those that are around you. You live in moral excellence so that they can find no fault in you so that they have to examine why you are the way you are and see who you are in Christ. This is the purpose of of the second level of what he's talking about. We have to pursue him in this way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It didn't change how He wanted to be pursued in the Old Testament. It doesn't change how He wants to be pursued in the New Testament. And if we don't understand that, we're missing it. You need to examine your life. No, I don't read anything in Daniel that tells me any of his sins but I'm not ridiculous enough to think that he didn't make mistakes. What I'm telling you is it was important enough to God for him not to include those so that we understood what it was to be virtuous, that we understood what it meant to be faithful, and we understood what it was to be delivered. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.